Vermont Conversation with David Goodman is brought to you by Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility and by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation, Green Mountain Power, Concept 2, Norwich Solar Technologies, The Alchemist Brewery, Let's Grow Kids, UVM Medical Center, and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Since March, 70,000 people have died of COVID-19, more than the number who died in the decade-long Vietnam War. This morning, the Washington Post featured an op-ed by filmmaker Eugene Jarecki called The Death Clock. Jarecki writes, quote, just as New York's national debt clock measures the nation's debt and every American's family's share of it, a national death clock is needed to measure the number of American lives that have been unnecessarily lost to President Trump and his administration's failure in managing the coronavirus pandemic. We're joined now by Eugene uh, Jarecki. Uh, Eugene, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. Great talking to you, David. Explain the idea behind the death clock. Well, I'm a New Yorker, and as some people may know, and as every New Yorker knows, uh, we have in New York City hanging above 6th Avenue, the Avenue of the Americas, uh, something called the National Debt Clock. It's a measure of the rising American national debt and every American's, every American family's share of it. Um, it's a very, very significant symbol for New Yorkers and for anybody who visits New York. And it has a very simple message, which is the nation is living beyond its means and this will have grave future consequences. Well, I've lived around the death clock. My, I've lived around the death clock my whole life and was always very struck by it. And as the pandemic has been upon us and we have been going through all of the challenges that it has presented in our lives and also all of the awakening and deep thinking that's been going on as we shelter in place, um, I've watched this pandemic unfold and I've watched the question of the administration's accountability unfold. I've watched it become a kind of political football. I watched what looked to be a very reckless uh, conduct of leadership by the president and his administration. And I then saw him and his team start to dissemble about that and kind of blur the lines and try to shift blame for what had gone so terribly wrong to others. And it seemed to me that a symbolic instrument was needed to plant a flag in the numbers themselves to make it impossible for the president or his defenders to blur those lines and to really plant a flag in the numbers that I think we must do. Um, tens of thousands of Americans have lost their lives. And as Dr. Anthony Fauci and others, even inside the administration, have pointed out, the Trump administration was warned repeatedly to implement mitigation guidelines to stop the spread of the coronavirus. And as Dr. Fauci said, there was a lot of pushback from the administration to doing so. Well, that pushback was no small affair. At a time of a pandemic, every second counts and every life counts. And as we now know, there is a period of time during which the administration did not respond quickly. 
and that had a huge human cost. And thanks to epidemiologists, leading epidemiologists, we now have a finer point on what those numbers look like. And uh, we spoke to those epidemiologists, consulted with quite a number of them to really put that fine point on the numbers. And what we learned, and this is probably best summarized in the article written by the epidemiologists, Dr. Jewell and Dr. Jewell in the New York Times, who point out, and it's uh, something I reference in the Washington Post piece, that people can argue about all kinds of things. The Trump administration and its defenders may try to shift blame to the World Health Organization or to China or to other institutions or other political figures or other nations. And history will judge all of that. Trump's critics may try to say uh, much earlier the administration should have moved in January and February when they were getting warnings from the intelligence services over and over that they needed to take action. His detractors may want to point even further back to the 2018 decision within his administration and himself to fire the pandemic uh, directorate within the National Security Council. There are many things that people will argue about in the news cycle. But it was clear to me that if we were going to make a measure of the president's actual accountability, you had to get outside the news cycle and you could not be seduced by either side in that debate. And so what we tried to figure out is, at minimum, for what is the president accountable? And why does that matter? Because thousands of American lives, it turns out, have been lost. And those lives, those people cannot have died in vain if they, if anything remotely positive can come from the loss of those human lives. It is that we demand more responsible and more responsive leadership going forward. We owe it to people who have needlessly lost their lives to a failed pandemic response that we improve the systems of such response going forward. So what we learned from epidemiologists is that there is a very simple period, a very restricted conservative analysis that says just one week, had the administration implemented mitigation guidelines on March 9th, 2020, rather than waiting another week until March 16th, as the New York Times and other areas and other publications have now underscored, the epidemiologists now tell us that had the administration moved one week earlier, 60% of American lives would have been saved. That is roughly 35 to 40,000 people, as you and I are talking right now. It's roughly today about 39,000. That's what Uh, our instrument tells us based on the evidence from epidemiologists. So I decided that if there had been a debt clock in New York all these years that had taught the lesson over and over about the nation's reckless borrowing, we needed a death clock to remind the nation of the need for a better kind of leadership than the reckless leadership that has cost so many American lives. I want to go back to the numbers uh, that you cite because they're really, it's quite um, staggering. Uh, the epidemiologists who you mentioned, doctors Britta and Nicholas Jewell, um, they explain, uh, just to put a finer point on, on the point you're making, March 16th, Trump issues uh, his social distancing guidelines. As you mentioned, had he done it one week earlier, March 9th, they estimate there would have been a 60% reduction in deaths. And had he done it a week earlier than that, on March 2nd, 
when there were only 11 deaths in the country, there would have been a 90% reduction in the number of deaths. Uh, that is 90% could have been prevented. Uh, it, it is, you know, people right now, we are so deep into this thing. And the number that I mentioned at the top, more deaths than the entire Vietnam War. I, I, it takes my breath away to describe that, knowing the kind of social upheaval that the Vietnam War caused in our society. We've surpassed that in two months. And the only images we see on TV are of these small groups of people protesting, uh, you know, social distancing and at various state capitals. And we know that those groups are funded by large right-wing organizations, including the Koch brothers and, uh, you know, a number of other uh, organizations. Um, how do you explain <laughs> the lack of massive protest at this moment from the kind of numbers that you're talking about in your article? Well, here's the thing. I stop at something you said. You pointed out that had the president, according to the epidemiologists in the New York Times, had the president moved as early as March 2nd, 90% of American lives might have been saved. That may be true, but you can almost hear in it when only a dozen or so Americans had died at that point. You can at least understand and reasonable people could debate whether the president of a nation of this size should have implemented serious lockdown, mitigation guidelines, measures of restraint, should have moved on March 2nd. Now, I believe he should have, but I can understand how reasonable people, understanding the full cost of a lockdown and of sheltering in place, one can at least slightly debate March 2nd. One cannot debate, and no one debates, March 9th. And that's why we decided to make our measure more conservative. Of course, if we had used March 2nd as a date, the Trump death clock would have a much higher number and people would say, oh, the outrage. But if you're going to prosecute something, you have to be fair in all directions. You cannot engage in conjecture. You can't engage in exaggeration, hyperbole. And so we sought the most conservative number and staggeringly, the most conservative number is now pushing 40,000 Americans who didn't have to die. What do you hope? Uh, so the death clock exists in a few forms. You have a website. Uh, is it TrumpDeathClock.com? TrumpDeathClock.com. Uh, yes. Where uh, it is keeping a running tally. And as I'm looking at it, the numbers are going up slowly, one by one. Um, and you are talking about a mounting a physical clock. Um, what do you hope will come of this from in terms of mobilizing people or just awareness raising? Well, a couple of things. I'm really glad you asked. The first thing is that I hope that it honors the lives of those whose lives should not have been recklessly mishandled, in that it stands as a symbol that demands more responsible leadership going forward. We are still in this pandemic and there will be others. And this is not about one president or one party. Any president has to now be on notice. If you handle a pandemic 
irresponsibly. Every second counts, and you won't believe the exponential death toll that you unleash. And so you better be on notice to listen to the scientists, not to play games that are political and seeking advantage when human lives are at stake. So first of all, we need accountability and we need to demonstrate going forward that this kind of recklessness and mischief will not stand. The second thing is that I hope people, if they're moved by the Trump death clock, that they carry it forward. We want people to run with it and project it in their own communities, on buildings, on billboards. We love people. You know, listen, there are billboards all over this country right now that because people are sheltered in place, those billboards are not exactly very valuable real estate. Nobody's looking at them. But the symbolism of putting the Trump death clock up on a billboard, just like the national death clock hangs on a wall above Sixth Avenue in New York City, in every small town and in every city across this country, I hope we see the Trump death clock everywhere we look to remind us of those who lost their lives needlessly and therefore to remind us of the demand that we have an approach to pandemics that includes health care for everybody, that includes being vigilant, that includes getting out ahead of something and not being caught with your pants down when something of this significance hits your population. You're listening to the Vermont Conversation. We're spending this half hour talking with filmmaker Eugene Jarecki. His op-ed piece appeared in the Washington Post this morning called The Death Clock. One of the things that, uh, you know, I'm struck by, we're, as we're speaking, uh, it has been announced that the coronavirus task force will be dismantled and that this, uh, the whole pandemic will be handled more as an economic matter. And uh, in terms of accountability, this, you know, what this affirms and confirms is that this is really being managed as a political problem, not as a healthcare crisis, which has very specific requirements for solving. Uh, it could be PPE, it could be, uh, you know, real uh, medications that work and not sham medications that the, tr the president uh, touts. Um, what do you think it's going to take to for there to be accountability? I think the president and his team are wildly out of their depth. I don't know that um, they are really making decisions that are anything other than political. I mean, this is Washington. We all have grown weary of how Washington can turn, as it turns out, anything into a political football. And that goes for both parties. This president is particularly strident in what he teaches us about the corruption of Washington. And that's heartbreaking. But um, I think what we're going to see in the weeks ahead is that the president is going to discover that despite his every effort, he and his team cannot bully reality. And so it is he who told the states to reopen and told them to liberate themselves. And as you can see in Georgia, it's catastrophic at a time of pandemic for people to prematurely re-engage in open behaviors. This has been converted into a form of government control, as if uh, the governors of certain states are oppressing their people by trying to prevent them from killing one another with microbes. We have laws against murder. 
it is the same. If you are an infected person and you come around an old person recklessly, you are killing that person. So states across the country are absolutely well-possessed to be trying to protect their people. And it was only Washington. Uh, it was only the White House that put out the idea um, that this was ridiculous. Remember, it was a hoax. This hoax has now killed more people than the Vietnam War. And the president himself had to raise his estimate now to 90,000 on the same day that that the experts in Washington raised it to 135,000 likely dead from this. And my imagination is that, I hate to say it, but it probably will rise higher than that, as these numbers always do when groups want to lowball them. Well, the president and his team have sought to lowball this whole experience. So what you're really asking is, when will they actually take it with the right level of seriousness? How many Americans have to die? Are they really going to take the view, oh, it's just old people. It's just grandma and grandpa who are dying. That's okay. Let's keep the economy going. One of the weirdest things about this is to look at our European counterparts, the countries we love so much, England, Italy, Germany, France, Spain. This is the only country where nobody has health coverage to deal with what's happening. This is the only country where they've given people 1200 bucks and told them to fend for themselves. This is the only country where the leadership of the country says, the cure is worse than the disease. You will starve and not have a job and you will have a disastrous life because of this lockdown. The other countries are in lockdown and are helping their people survive that lockdown because they recognize that the economy has to be somewhat frozen. It's only this country that gave trillions in corporate welfare bailouts to airlines. Think about that. Airlines, who aren't flying planes right now, got bailouts. Cruise lines, who aren't running boats right now, got bailouts. But the American people don't. Let them die. Let them starve. Let them get burned by a virus. Let them lose their loved ones. So the, the depravity of the vision coming out of, of the White House could not be more harrowing. And so the real question is, when will this White House realize the responsibility that rests on its shoulders? The president declared recently that he had absolute authority. He doesn't. But you know what he does have? He has responsibility. He took an oath. And that oath makes him a defender of this nation from threats within and without. He is failing at that at the delivery of that oath right now. Vital. So Eugene Jurecki, at the same time that you're you're kind of probing the depths of of the depravity of the moment we're in with this depth clock, you've also convened what you've called a silver linings group. Um, talk a little bit about some of the silver linings that you believe or hope can come from this moment. Well, I do. You know, I'm I'm telling you about this Trump death clock right now, which because it deals with the death of 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 of, of so many in America, is by its very nature a solemn activity. But I'm a person. My mom always said I have a real sunshiny nature. I mean, the truth is, I am an optimist, even in times of great crisis. The fact is, the crises of the past throughout history have produced enormous progress. 
it was the wars of the past that killed so many men that women were thrust into the workforce. For the first time, very often, they became a force in society, out of the shadows, out of previous levels of oppression. And it was only the wars that created that opportunity. Does that mean we want the wars? No. It means we have to be ready. Luck favors the prepared mind, as Louis Pasteur said. We have to be ready when a calamity strikes to find the silver lining in it. Other calamities, we look at the 1930s, look at the combination of the depression and the drought, the grapes of wrath, the tragedies of the 1930s that made it possible for the New Deal to happen, made it possible for millions of Americans to be given employment who desperately needed it. Advances in social equality, advances in chances for working people and for across the board, more openness, racial, gender, and otherwise. All of those advances that happened in the 1930s and that led America to become the most powerful nation in the world came out of the crises of the 1930s. Well, we are once again at a time of deep crisis. But in that crisis, if we are ready for it, lies incredible opportunity to jump this country and this world forward. We have seen the photographs of the beautiful skies opening up over the Himalayas, visible for the first time in decades, the dolphins swimming in the canals of Venice. We have seen the blue sky over the polluted Beijing. Why? Because this coronavirus has shut down the world's destructive machinery of industry. It's put people in their homes, hopefully, if they're lucky, with family and loved ones to take a moment to breathe and not constantly be on the gerbil wheel of the rat race. And this pause alone is an opportunity in itself. I read in Forbes magazine an article in which they interviewed a man who runs the Hugo Institute, I think it's in France, and it looks at the effects of man's activity on the climate. And he said, in the final analysis, it is quite likely that we will see that this pandemic saves more lives than it costs in the end. Because what it does just to stop the world from creating so much greenhouse gas and destroying the atmosphere and what we know about how many millions of people are killed by that every year, this COVID-19 may indeed kill fewer people in its, in its direct virulence than it will ultimately save in its effect on humanity's activities. That's an amazing idea. And hidden in it is the beautiful glimmer, this, this, this beautiful jewel inside this crisis, this glowing jewel that I look to and that guides me forward. And the Trump death clock, although it's a measure of something extremely somber, what if it truly could motivate us to be aware and to demand the kind of responsible and responsive leadership that the American people deserve and that those who needlessly died here deserved? Okay, well, Eugene Jarecki, I want to thank you for joining us once again on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here, even on such a serious subject. I thank people for this. Eugene Jarecki is an Emmy and Peabody Award-winning documentary film director whose op-ed piece is running in today's Washington Post called The Death Clock. 
That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all Vermont Conversations at vermontconversation.com. You can tune in next Wednesday at 1 for another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by... Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. The Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable child care in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. And nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit.